activate the view screen and turn on your universal translators because it is time for another Galactic Netcast. The Time Traveling Robots in Space Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to another Galactic Netcast. This is the Time Traveling Robots in Space, number 28, for Thursday, April 12th, 2012. I'm Dave, Dave Nelson. I almost forgot my name, Paul, alongside Mr. Paul Swickard. How are you, Paul? I am doing well, and I am not so discombobulated that I forgot my own name. Only me. Not to leave it to me <laughs> to screw up my name. That's something that Dave would do. Not, you know, I, absolutely. But you know what? I you are not the only person I know of that has forgotten their own name on air, no less. Who are you talking about? Well, one is Mr. Scott Johnson. He often gets his own name wrong. He, he gets, gets his co-host's name wrong. He gets a lot of names wrong. It's funny. It's like that's a thing with him. It's humorous. It's it's endearing to him. I like it. Well, you know, I hope that you have that same, at least for me, you have that same endearing quality. Thanks, man. That makes me feel all warm well, and fuzzy inside. You're at Galactic Netcast. We promote positive work environments. All right, let's get on with the show. This is the show where we talk about time travel, robots, and space separately and sometimes together when it comes to uh, science fact and science fiction. Paul and I uh, take a crack at each subject, then we break out our recommendations and ask the question of the week. If in the future you'd like to watch us do the show live, we stream it on Spreecast.com every Thursday at 7 Pacific, 9 Central. See, I favored your time zone this week, Paul. I didn't go the whole Central I, Pacific. I went Pacific Central. You know, I appreciate that. I really do. I think that's perfect. It's where it's at. You know, we're all hip and stuff. <laughs> we're all cool and hip on the West Coast. You Central time I, uh, zone people, you're all, you're flyover country. That's all that is. It's flyover you know, country. That's what they want to have you believe. But honestly, we're not any cooler than anybody else. <laughs> All right. And for our Spreecast.com <laughs> viewers, feel free to ask questions throughout the show. You know the deal. Uh, you can either type them into the chat room or submit them in the comment or question at the uh, lower right hand underneath Paul, where it says comment or question. That's where you submit your comment or question. There you go. Right there. Sector, Sector one. one. Time, Time travel. travel. All right, after releasing a number of teaser clips, the first trailer debuted today for the time travel action film Looper, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis as the younger and older versions of the same person. Written and directed by Ryan Johnson, this movie, which also stars Emily Blunt, is about a futuristic gangland where a killer, Gordon-Levitt, works for the mob in 2042 and kills people who are sent from the year 2072. As the trailer explains, time travel does not exist in 2042, but it does, uh, would that be 30 years? Yeah, 30 years later in 2072. So the people from the future are sending people to the past. That's where he kills them. It's weird. Uh, he recognizes one victim, Willis, as himself, and hesitates, resulting in the escape of his older self. Looper combines strong corporate influences for dealing with criminal organizations, technology for the time travel machine itself, as well as film, 
film noir due to the film's extremely dark, gritty, and bloody plot. It is scheduled for a September 28th, 2012 release. And let me do something for our video viewers. Let's try to bring up the trailer, at least attempt to, to bring up the trailer here. I was very tempted to talk about this story because the, I found the trailer to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It looks really, really so, neat. They Have they rated this yet? Do you know? Uh, no, but I'm guessing it's R. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. Yeah, see... Damn it. That's the thing, man, is that I... Like, they're saying that it's a very, you know, kind of gritty and bloody plot, but... I just I, I'm kind of hoping that they'll may actually make good on that claim. Not that I you know need that level of violence all the time. It's just you know if you're gonna be if you're gonna be dark and bloody, then be dark and bloody. Yeah, exactly. All in or nothing, you know. Right. You know, I want to see the um, the lockout movie this weekend. The the you know the Die Hard in Space, and that's a PG thirteen, and I'm a little concerned. Yeah, no. Just and, mildly so, but a little bit, just because, you know, it's a classic example of, you know, dumbing it down just so it can reach a broader audience. Exactly. Okay, here it is. Bear with me. Absolutely. I am bearing... Time travel and I has not wait. yet been invented. But 30 years from now, it will have been... So when criminal organizations in the future need someone gone, they zap him back to me. And I eliminate the target from the future. Oh la la. Loopers are well paid. We live the good life. And the only rule is never let your target escape. Even if your target is you. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there. I think that's enough. You get the gist of what's going on there. A couple of questions. Indeed. Now, do do the people sure. in the future, have they... Obviously, they've communicated with 2042. 2072, they've communicated with 2042 because he always knows where they're going to, going to appear. And it looks like they're paying them from the future with that the gold bars. Do you think that's mm-hmm. how it works? Mm-hmm. I that was my impression of it. They basically store the goods somewhere, and they always know where it is in the future. So that I would assume that's how they get paid. Um, it's almost like they did a similar trick on uh, Quantum Leap, if you remember that trick. Like it was one of the original things they tried to do to actually communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. The po- there they put a piece of mail inside the post office and says, "Don't open it until year blah 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 blah." And the the assumption is is that the post office will keep it for that long. Yeah. And you would know pretty much immediately whether or not you succeeded in that. Because if you say, okay, uh, you know, if you sent them a letter, any kind of communication saying, okay, I need you to open a, a little portal at this place at this particular time, you'd know pretty much instantly whether that happened or not because they would have gotten it in the right period of time and they would have opened up the portal to the time that you were currently in. When I start thinking about stuff like that, my brain freaks out. <laughs> you know, trying to wrap your head around that, you know, sending something from the past, oh. but then the person already knows the future, 
because they got mm-hmm. the message and it's uh, yeah, freaking out. It's hard to do. It's really hard to do, like to communicate that and like especially for an entertainment type audience. It's hard to it's hard to make sure that people stay with you because it's easy to overcomplicate it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, this looper looks really kick ass and to go back to your point of hopefully it's rated R because anything less <laughs> with all that blood yeah. and people getting killed it's that's what makes a movie like this so awesome it's it's a, it's more of a mob film than a science fiction time travel film really if you're going to go for it then go for it that's my only point i'm not trying to say that you know every every single action movie has to be rated r i'm saying if you're going to do that kind of film if you're going to have that set that kind of tone do that kind of tone. Don't do something half-assed. There you go. I'm going to agree with you. That's, that is my opinion. So let's move on again. September 28th, 2012, Looper hits theaters. Can't wait. All right. Uh, time travel? Yeah, for sure. What's your story? Time travel. We have talked a number of times about the uh, two-hour pilot on sci-fi of Rewind. Rewind, you may recall, is the uh, the story was it has the military traveling through time in order to stop various forms of terrorism. And today, the deadline is reporting that uh, several new members have joined the cast. We are there reporting that Kesha Ca- Castle Bash Hughes, Robert Jones, Jennifer, Jennifer Farron, and Keon, I want to say Mojiri, Mohiri, That's have a- signed on to the, do the two power to our pilot. Awesome. So, okay, this is NBC, right? NBC. Is it NBC? I thought I... Oh, it is. You are correct. I might have said sci-fi. But yes, this is NBC. Okay. No, Um, no, 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 no. Yeah, they... No, 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 no. You're right. I think you're right. I I was uh, reading the bottom where it said where the other people are from, and I saw NBC, so that's why I brought that up. But you're probably right. It is most likely sci-fi. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was like, I was confused. I'm like, I need to stop. Dave, don't take this wrong. I need to stop deferring to your judgment. <laughs> no, no, you should never <laughs> trust my judgment. That's something that I've learned in the past. Um, so yeah, don't ever listen to me on every anything. Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, just quick breakdown of which each cast member is playing. Castle Hughes, which by the way, Awesome last name. I want the last name of Castle Hughes. It's very tough. My, my name is Mr. Castle Hughes. Rough and tumble. <laughs> yeah. Castle Hughes will portray the team's historian, uh, which is uh, Priya, a behavior anthropologist whose knowledge of the past isn't limited to the information found in books and internet searches. This is their wording. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. I <laughs> Great. So you're saying that the historian has more information than everybody yeah like, oh, well i would hope that's the case <laughs> yeah i know yeah that's what <laughs> makes that's what hey, makes I'm them historian that what makes them so you know important and vital a key element in the whole thing yeah all right so who was it who else uh, we got here jones will play danny who is the right hand man of the team and is supposedly the team leader henry knox will play farron Oh, excuse me. Henry Knox, while Farron will step aside into the role of Bryce, who is a scientist whose genius allows her to graduate from MIT at 18. 
So there, it seems like they're like at least according to the descriptions here, uh, it kind of reminds me a bit of Fringe in that everybody who's on the team is like super genius. This, you know, and then yeah, and it's kind of like yeah. And it's it, at least the claim is here that Bryce doesn't care if people don't like the way she doesn't hide her intelligence. So they're making it a point to for her to be, you know, kind of I'm smart and that just with it kind of a deal. I am really excited about this show. Um, it's got so much potential. Cool. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of the same way that Looper is, but for but it's it's uh, the forces of good are doing the time travel mm-hmm. instead of the mob killing off people. It's They're doing the same thing, but kind of in reverse, sort of. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I totally understand. And the last role is Mo- which Mohiri will play. He is playing a brilliant mathematician named Charlie who invented a technology that reduces history to equations, which allows the team to predict the outcome of their actions in the past. Oh, man. The more you talk about this, yeah. Paul, the more excited so, I am. See? You hear that, sci-fi? See? We talk, people listen, you get it? <laughs> you see, picking up what I'm putting down? <laughs> we are influencers. Indeed. So, yeah, look for that very soon. Um, yeah, it's a two-hour pilot. Hopefully, if it gets enough traction, it'll turn into a television series. I'm going to look this up real quick on IMDb because I am curious. Sure. I don't know. There's no real schedule yet. If they're casting this right now, at the very earliest, I wouldn't expect this until the end of the year. But um, that that is not... I, I don't believe that's being determined. I don't see anything... I don't see any pages for it. I see... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Rewind 2012 TV. That must be it. Mm-hmm. Revolves around a team of military field operatives and civilian scientists who must use untested technology to travel back in time to alter past presents or past events. Exactly what you said. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's all the yeah, information. Man. That's all the information there is. In fact, there's less because At this particular moment, yeah. Yeah, because you've got the the new cast announcements that were just announced today. So obviously, they haven't made the IMDb IMDb page as of yet. Yeah, this is coming to us from Deadline, and uh, yeah, the report came out today, so it doesn't surprise me that they haven't updated it yet. But I would imagine that you know IMDb they're they're okay. <laughs> they should they should update their stuff though. Come on, if we can if we can do this, you can do this. Well, the thing is with IMDb, just like Wikipedia, it's user generated, so somebody has to actually go on there and make the additions themselves. So, uh, anybody listening you, that 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 adds content to IMDb, get on it. All right. <laughs> I am not one of those people. All right, so there you go. Be. Time travel. Uh, both that movie and that TV show sound awesome. So we have. Things to look forward to in the future of time travel shows and movies. Paul, did you get that? Absolutely. I did a funny. Okay. All right. I. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. If you think my joke was funny or lame, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can email galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. 
you can call our voicemail number, 805-328-3966, or leave a comment on the episode page at galacticnetcast.com. You can, either, you can even go on to Facebook, our Facebook page, and say, hey, wasn't Dave's, wasn't Dave's joke about time travel on time-traveling robots in space funny this week? And nobody will comment, and they'll all be like, it was stupid. So uh, leave us feedback on those three different ways, the, the voicemail, uh, 805-328-3966, galacticnetcast at gmail.com. On the page, galacticnetcast.com, or on our Facebook page, Google Plus, or Twitter. Let us know. We need feedback because if we're doing a crappy show, we'll just continue to do crappy shows without you telling us that we're doing a crappy show. Am I right, Paul? And you know what? I'm not- I'm not going to make the promise that we will continue to, we will be uncrappy having, you know, followed your advice. But, you know, how's this? We will con- make a concerted effort in order to be uncrappy. And we'll be less uncrappy. We we just won't be great. We'll we'll be less uncrappy. Less uncrappy. Or no, less crappy. So... Less crappy because <laughs> if we were less uncrappy, we'd be more crappy. As a very smart person once said, it's like a full 360. Okay. I will just, you can, okay. All right. So on with the show. I'm just, I'm terrible. I'm doing terrible segues tonight. So let's just do this. Let's see uh, if robots can be more successful in what we're doing here. Uh, Jim Henson's short film Robot was recently discovered in the AT&T archives In 1963, a 27-year-old Henson was commissioned to create the film for a Bell Systems seminar for business owners on the then-brand-new topic of data communication. So this is way, way before Henson was famous for anything, for uh, Sesame Street or the Muppets. So this is, he's doing like, he's doing commission jobs back in 1963. According to AT&T, the seminar itself involved a lot of films and multimedia presentations and took place in Chicago. The organizers of the seminar, Impro, actually set the tone for the film in a three-page memo which outlined the growing relationship between man and machine, a relationship not without tension and resentment. Henson created a different but similar robot for the SKF Industries Pavilion at the 1964 World's Fair. If you watch this video, you'll notice that the robot is very Muppet-like, even though it would be years until those characters would be created. One of the creepiest parts of the short film is when a little bird flies up to the robot, and just as he's flying up, steam comes out and basically disintegrates the bird. That's so that's it's <laughs> this video has its dark side Sorry. to it. It is killing animals. Little little cute birds flying up to it. I yeah, I I I, I think I'd still find it funny. Okay. <laughs> Check out the picture. Cuz I'm not cuz I'm not like yeah. I I've, I've heard of people, oh goodness. I've heard of plenty of people actually getting more offended that an animal was harmed than a person, and I take, I kind of take personal offense to that. So, yeah, if I'm not completely sad by the fact that that a bird got scared because of a steam because of steam, <laughs> sorry. Well, it wasn't an actual bird. It was also a muppet. It was a muppet bird. That's true. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say this, the robot is very human like in the way it moves. Like it uses, there's a lot of steam involved. You'll have to watch the video because <laughs> you won't believe the amount of steam involved. Apparently in 1963, they thought that robots would require steam to move and to operate because, uh, you know, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure in like the late 1800s, I'm sure they thought like, hey, every single machine needs to be powered on steam because this is all we have. Yeah. That's true. Of course, that was late 1800s and this was made when? Yeah, 1963. Not that long ago, really, in the scheme of things. So you would think that you would think that it would have an engine or something like that, but eh. okay, you know, I go Jim Henson. I love love the guy. No, it's very awesome. It's a cool look, and it's a cool early look at what we would see in the future of Jim Henson. Because you see a lot of signs of of his later creations. You know, you can kind of you can kind of see Kermit the Frog. You can kind of see, you know, um, who else? Miss Piggy. You can you can see the Muppets on Sesame Street in this robot, in the way it moves, mm-hmm. in the inflections. It's not the same. Whoa, we just lost a bunch of people out of the chat room. That was weird. Okay. Um, so, yeah, check it out. We'll post the video. I keep on forgetting to post this stuff um, in the chat room. Let's do this right here. All right, here's the video right here. Now, did you... Did you enjoy the the Muppets at all while they were while they were a thing? Oh yeah, yeah. I grew up yeah. with the Muppets. You know, it was a it was a regular cool. thing. It was a it was a traditional. What was it? Saturday night thing, Paul? I think. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I was barely around when they did the Muppet Show. I w- I grew up on the Muppets in the sense of the films. Okay. Um, and all the reruns, but they weren't really live when I uh, when when I was around. Well, the thing is, Paul, I'm old. I'm an old man. <laughs> so I love the Muppets. I really do. Like my I my heart warmed when I saw the new movie. It was amazing. I'm gonna have to get around to watching that. That's on my to do list. Um, but it was I've really good. It, I mean, you kind of have to. At least from the impressions, not that this has anything to do with robots, but <laughs> my, I, I kind of feel like most people, in order to, unless you're, unless you're young, like really young, or unless you've grown up on the Muppets, I don't think you, it would, it would get to you as much as the movie is intended to, uh-huh. because it's really supposed, it's supposed to be like the movie is literally about the Muppets who don't aren't relevant anymore they know they're not relevant anymore and that's the problem is they their their whole thing is to try to get back into the limelight and that is that's that's the crux of the film is them trying to actually get back to be popular again so it's very nobody cares it's very kind of meta it's like inside yeah. inside yeah. sauce inside baseball a little bit Interesting. yeah totally and it makes sense too because they're not i mean before even you know before the film nobody very few people cared about the muppets there was a lot there was it's been a long time since they did a legitimate muppet movie 
and they did the marketing right. When I say legitimate, they did they yes, did they did the absolutely. marketing right for the movie. Like, and it seemed like they did stuff that wasn't even movie related necessarily on the ramp up to the movie. Like they would they were injecting the Muppets into a whole bunch of different things. Like they had a the bunch of great great YouTube videos, and um, yep. so they, they I saw. I saw the Muppets on so many different outlets. It was it was great. I thought they did a, a great job with that. Like I think they were on. It was either the Daily Show or the Colbert Report. But it's it really good, really good marketing in that sense. They did. They've done a great job. Like with all. You're right. With all of the social media and the little self-produced YouTube things that they've done, it's a great job. All right. I forgot to throw in the link to the looper trailer earlier so i threw it in um on the below our video and we'll put all these links in the show notes at both the website galacticnetcast.com and if you you can actually click the links that we include in the show notes on your wherever wherever you're playing your podcast um either through itunes or if you have like a i listen to my podcast via downcast and you can actually click the links within the app so we make it very easy to find out more information about what we're talking about all right paul sure robots what yes, do you, sir. what do you got i have two things this week on the creepy robot agenda first darpa <laughs> in its infinite wisdom is expected to launch a contest and it's not really a contest so much as a bid to ask robot builders to build a bipedal robot that can do things that normal people would do, like drive cars, open doors, transverse rough, rough terrain, and show off its fine motor skills. It's the idea is, and there's been I don't know what's going on over at DARPA, but there's been seems like there's been a big push recently to have like real practical robots doing things. Like we've you know over since we've really started this podcast, we've had. You know the the dog type podcast, just or the dog type uh, <laughs> the dog podcast, yeah, the, where they just bark the whole time. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> See, we're finding new ways to you know entertain the people. That is an untapped market, dogs. <laughs> dog, the dog market. <laughs> and you know you have the you have the DARPA robots that can actually be able to run or be able to go over terrain that isn't level. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the idea is is that, and I've found this to be true in a lot of cases, but the Pentagon will more or less put put uh, third parties into a bid to, like, say, okay, build us a robot, build us X that can do this. And whoever can do it in the most efficient way ends up getting the bid to actually produce the thing, and therefore the contract is worth multiple millions of dollars. They do that a lot with like uh with air aircraft you know like okay build us the coolest aircraft that can do blah and you know people like i forget the name the names are escaping me now but like um well there was the whole skunk works there was the whole um what are some of those big companies that are in the oh i was thinking of northrop grumman Okay, but you, people like that, these big contractors who actually like, you know, they're trying to put bids in to actually build whatever it is that the military wants them to build. Um, yay, so <laughs> military-industrial complex. 
but yeah, DARPA apparently is doing the same thing. And they've had success with stuff like this in the past. Like they've had the they had a one million dollar challenge to ask researchers to develop an autonomous vehicles capable of transverting uh, circuitous. There's your word of the day. Off-road mountain routes. So yeah, it, basically they were putting in bids to have vehicles that can drive themselves. What's you know, that? And this was in two thousand in two thousand seven. They did another two million dollar, uh, two million dollar quote unquote challenge to have cars drive themselves, obey traffic signs, and avoid hitting other driving bots. Wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So yeah, again, they're putting out a bid to actually have have robots a bipedal. They made the point of saying it being bipedal. So. That leads me to think that they're actually much sim- very similar to what we were talking about last week, where they wanted to have a robot who did a who were firefighters. Like they wanted, to, it seems like they want these robots to be able to actually like communicate and work as a member of the team, much yeah. like I don't know Star Trek. Yep, it's kind of strange the way that's working out. It's like, hey, why can't we have another robot on this? If robots get smart enough, why can't they be a member of the team? It's really strange. It's like. Okay, did we come we that conclusion because Star Trek thought it was a good idea, or is it just like a function of hey, this is what we need in the field, or both? Chicken or the egg, man. Chicken or the egg. Yeah. Well. So anyway, I I found that really cool. I think it's like I had a I had another I had a physicist friend of mine tell me that bipedal generally bipedal robots are very unstable. Because they don't have the fine motor skills to actually be able to adjust their balance, so you know what they what, what at least what he told me was it's actually better to have a robot that acts like a spider because it's very rigid. You can actually stick there and it'll actually be able to stay up versus a bipedal. But they won't. At least they were specific about bipedal robots. So there you go. Well, it would make it would make sense that DARPA is trying to develop these more human-like robots just because I think they see the future. I think DARPA sees where all this is going. I mean, they've, they've, they've seen the movies. <laughs> they, they've, they've read I, the books. Yeah. You know, robots, in order for, for people like me and you, for humans, to accept robots as a regular everyday thing, they're going to have to see robots as everyday regular things. And... People can relate to things that look like us. So I think that's one of the reasons why they're making that, robots more human-like because we can relate to them. That may be true. They've touched on, People have touched on that a few times. Like, why are we making robots that look like us? And you, you hit it right away. It's that we can more easily relate to something. We might more quickly accept a robot that looks similar to us than something that is just, you know all function and no look. Exactly. But anyway, but that is story number one and I'll charge through the second one just because, and I felt, and I believe you found this one. It's, it's another really interesting story. Uh, in our effort to make, ultimately make a Terminator machine, we are making robots with muscles, joints, and tendons. Let's <laughs> marinate on that for a bit. Let's think. We are making a robot that has muscles, joints, and tendons. And Paul, 
if you go back I, to the first story, <laughs> DARPA wants to make robots that look like us, and then uh-huh. the, the second story, you add the tendons, muscles, and joints, and you've got a human-looking robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's pretty much a self-explanatory story. It is not, they are not, in fact, real, yeah. like, actual flesh. Obviously. They are, all oh, it's plastic. Well, not, see, not obviously. I, if you told me that they were creating this stuff that, if you were told me that they were creating this stuff out of real organic material, I'm not sure I'd find that all that surprising. Okay. And, uh, uh, Gabe, Gabe in the chat room brings up the good point. What did the, what did these purposes serve? The whole idea behind this is so that they can actually have fine motor skills. As ro- most robots don't. They have this, you know, that robots are very, if you want to think about it, it's very on or off. You're either grabbing something or you're not. Whereas people can have all kinds of functions. People can, you know, adjust accordingly. That's what they're going for is they're trying to go for the organic type feel, the way that, you know, they're trying to make it so that robots can move similar to the way people move. And that is the point behind this whole thing. I, well, how do you pronounce this? It's called like Esserobot or Ekerobot. Eker. I want to say Ekerobot. Yeah, Ecker Robot. That sounds about right. And this is coming to us from the University of Sussex. Yeah. All right. UK. And, go UK. Yeah. And by the way, exactly. I'd like to welcome Gabe to the chat room. We got a few first-timers here. We have Gabe, and then Megan just came in. So uh, welcome Megan as well. Welcome to the time-traveling robots in space. Put up your feet and get comfortable. Because it's going to get weird. Indeed. Oh, dude, we're already weird. <laughs> you know what? You're coming in at negative numbers. It's Skynet. <laughs> Skynet is here, and they're they're working in the guise of DARPA. They're working in the guise of these universities. It's really all controlled by Skynet. Skynet is real. They're giving these organizations money, and they're going to make the robot army to overthrow the humans. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I agree, sir. So we're screwed, basically. All right. Oh, yeah. Like, like, dude, I was not... If you had told me before we started this whole series of podcasts that we would, you know, the state that robotics is currently in, I, I wouldn't have believed you. But more and more, these things are getting to the point of being kind of... I mean, there's no other way of saying it. Sentient. Yep. Like... We're getting to that point, like a self-aware type. And, you know, then we're asking ourselves all kinds of crazy metaphysical questions. Uh-huh. Like, okay, what is, like, what is a soul? I mean, did we just literally create a soul? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been doing that for, you know, since the beginning of time. And is it that we're doing it just in a different form? Like, is that what's going on? Or is it not? Is it, you know... You, does that mean that it has rights? I mean, crap. I, I don't. That's a rabbit hole and a half. Yeah, that. I think that question's been tackled in plenty of, like Isaac Asimov books and um, sure other science fiction sure. authors in books and in movies. I think that's been that's been tackled. What I want to figure out is, has the number of robot stories stories about like DARPA and these universities 
working on robots. Has the number of these stories increased, or are is our show shining a light on them, and we're they're sticking out to us more because we're doing a show about robots? That is a good question. I tend to think that it's probably a little bit of both, to yeah. be honest. I know that's a non-answer, but it's probably a bit of both. I, you know, I had heard about DARPA as an organization before, but I didn't really follow what they did. Now that I'm following what they do, it seems like on a fairly regular basis, like I have no problem finding any stories about robots from week to week, no. whether it's from DARPA or whether it's from Japan or pretty much anything nowadays. DARPA, the folks that brought you the internet, which we're using. <laughs> thanks, <Yeah>. thanks, DARPA. <laughs> we appreciate it. We salute you. Now, DARPA's next task is to build a life-size USS Enterprise. But before we talk about that, we would like to um, let you know that if you want to hear more science fiction-based podcast goodness, if you're not satisfied enough with the time-traveling robots in space and you want to hear podcasts about kind of cheesy science fiction movies or an alien invasion. We, we, we cover the bases. We have three regular shows every week on the Galactic Netcast that you can get in your feed just by going to galacticnetcast.com and clicking on the contact subscribe tab, and then you click the iTunes logo and you're set. You will get a constant feed of our shows on one subscription. That's all it takes. Plus, you know what, Paul? We're doing a Doctor Who podcast next week. Maybe you should tune oh, in awesome. so you can learn about Doctor Who. I know. I should go to get educated, man. I, I know almost nothing about Doctor Who. <sighs> Anessa in the chat room, she points out, we are in capital letters. Yes, we are. Anessa, Brad, and myself. Brad, uh, my co-host of Alien Invasion, we're doing the Doctor Who podcast next week so look for that in your feed if you subscribe to the mega feed at galacticnetcast.com if you if you're not subscribed yet what are you waiting for do it now in fact you know what i'm going to get the link yes sir and post it in the chat room so our new people in the chat room will have a chance to click it and subscribe to the mega feed of galacticnetcasts.com you absolutely should it is every show on this network is worth listening to. I find it. Thank you. Except this one. I don't accept the one that you're on. Really? Well, I don't listen to this. It may come as a shock to you, but I live it. <laughs> I'm there, man. I don't, I don't need to listen to it. I'm there when it happens. Why, why would I want to listen to it? All right. So there you go. Um, click on the link and subscribe. Thank you. And please. Space. No, I mean, please and thank you. I had that backwards. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, what I'm about to read to you will blow your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready to have my mind blown. Okay, a plan to reinvigorate downtown Las Vegas with a life-size replica of the USS Enterprise from Star Trek has been revealed 20 years after it was originally conceived. According to entertainment design firm The Goddard Group, a project to build the life-size starship was greenlit prior to the light and sound show of the Fremont Street Experience getting the go-ahead. But the plan was nixed at the last moment by the head of Paramount Studios, Stanley Jaffe. Apparently, he feared that 
Should it be a failure? He didn't want to be the one, the one responsible for its approval. So you can pl- you can blame Stanley Jaffe for us not having a life-size Starship Enterprise in the middle of Las Vegas. Hold up. He, he said he didn't want to be responsible for its approval? Yes. As in, I don't want to be the one responsible to making this happen? Yes. What? How dumb is that? <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of... Oh... I, I, that's like saying, I don't want to be responsible for making something awesome. I don't want to be responsible for saying that, Hey, this is a good idea. Is he really like, obviously he doesn't have any confidence in it. Like, is he worried that it's going to just going to be a flop or I think that Star Trek, I, yeah, that's pretty sure that a bunch of Star Trek nerds go to Vegas. Yeah, no, it would be nerd. It would be the nerd Mecca if this were to happen. Okay, 20 years ago. Yeah, what you're year? Not, you're it, not joking, dude. <laughs> it was 1990, 1992, right? We're in the middle of Star Trek The Next Generation being the hot show. So why wouldn't you want to have the Starship Enterprise in the middle of Las Vegas during a show dude, such as Star Trek The Next Generation? I, I don't want to be responsible for <laughs> its approval. Somebody else say this is okay. Can, can't you? Don't you have people for this? Like promote some <laughs> schmuck, some poor janitor saying, "Hey, this we we made it, and he said it was a good idea, so he'll get fired if it doesn't go well." Isn't okay. that how it works in corporate America? Yeah, that you promote somebody to do something, yes. and you blame it on them if it doesn't go right, and take the credit if it does go right. That's exactly how it works, and this is what it would have looked like right here. Doesn't on, hire me. Doesn't if, I, if do, I can see that. Doesn't that just piss you oh. off looking at that picture? It's like you would looks amazing. And it would be actual size, okay? Actual size of the USS oh. Enterprise, okay? Okay. You'd have people dressed in like the dealers at the black tech table would have the uniforms. You'd have oh, you missed out, my friend. You I know. missed out. I know. Okay. If they can make the freaking El Capitan, they can make this. Screw that. If they can make the Hooters Casino, you can make a freaking Star Trek Casino. I promise. You have my permission. Okay. In the blog post, the Goddard Group's website, on the the Goddard Group's website, it was explained that the Enterprise would appear to have been in dry dock and would offer visitors a tour of the ship that they know and love from the TV show and the movies. A high-speed travel later would have taken people between levels along with recreations of the bridge, corridors, living quarters, and a functioning Starfleet banqueting hall. Ultimately, the team wanted to include as many features and locations seen in the show. To be classified as life-size, a recreation of the ship would have been around 650 meters long, 240 meters wide, and 80 meters, 80 meters tall, and those arriving at the city by air would have seen it as they came into land. That's how big it would would have been if this would have happened. Wow. I know. Wow. It just pisses you uh, off, doesn't it? It does. It really does. <laughs> it's like, yeah. All right. All right. Whatever. If, okay. Okay. If I had <laughs> if I had a time machine, if I had a time machine. I'd go back in time and knock this guy off. 
I'd, I'd get rid of it. I'd have this guy killed before he could make that kind of decision. And then find a person that would be friendly to this, bring them in as the head of Paramount, and let, let him make the decision. Seriously, what is the big frickin' problem? Like, is the casino business not doing well? What, what the crap? Yeah, I know. Whatever. You know, if you think about this too long, you just get more and more mad. So let's move on to our next story. Paul, what do you got? Indeed. All right. I have quite possibly what is the coolest story ever in existence. And I realize that I am not. Uh, I realize that I'm setting up for this to be quite large. Um, this is, I, I think this is one of the coolest ideas for a movie ever. Um a Colombian university <laughs> chemist, his name is Roland Breslow, postulated that, <laughs> dino- that dinosaurs are were intelligent. And yeah, <laughs> so let me let me yeah, Dave is they had a, putting on the shocked face. They had a brain like this, the size of you, just this. Okay, right. This is not helping so, the audio listeners, but. I'm holding so, my fingers okay, together into a very, very small circle. Now, let me understand and let me try to explain this as best I can, me not being a, a, a scientist or a chemist expert. Um, you've heard the theory that we as a species were not, in fact, from Earth, like in its true origin, in a true origin type sense. You've heard the idea that we were, in fact, came we came on whether it be space, you know, like uh, we basically came, our DNA came from a different source, like from aliens or whatever you want to call it. Basically yeah. came from space. Yeah, because the, the ancients seeded our planet through the Stargate. That's how it worked, right? <laughs> that is one theory that I have yet to disprove. <laughs> okay. So, yes. <laughs> but the idea is, is that the dinosaurs, at least at one point, came from were were um travelers that's the idea so you know the person who wrote this article actually came up with the idea that you know how how quickly we're gonna see brainiac velociraptors come and like take back earth or something like that (laughs) okay (laughs) so is this guy legit there's actually and where is he getting his information from so so it should be pointed out that this man is not, in fact, a crackpot. <laughs> he, he uh, basically, he holds, uh, he's, uh, as they put it, he holds Columbia's highest academic rank and served as president of the American Chemist Society is in, and is a recipient of the National Medal of Science and many other top honors. And generally, he is generally regarded as an all-around eminent scientist. And there is actually, like, I'm not just spouting off this, there is actually reasons for why he believes that this is the case, and it all has to do with, uh, you know, amino acids and sugars and things like that. Uh, basically, the origin of our species. And I um, I tried reading this, and I'm not smart enough. I really am not. <laughs> Not many people are so, smart enough I guess, to, to wrap your head around this. I guess I don't know, dude. But the but again, the whole idea is is that our org, organic life came from somewhere else, 
and that somewhere else in this in this particular case might have been those might have been super smart dinosaurs. <laughs> so we're uh, so the dinosaurs are our ancestors. We come from dinosaurs. Is that what the gist of it? It's not. It's. I don't think. I don't think he's making that point. I think he's saying that the. I think he was making the point that such life forms could well be advanced versions of dinosaurs if mammals didn't have the good fortune to have dinosaurs wiped off the planet. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, I understand where he's going with this. So in an alternate timeline where the Earth doesn't get, bom- doesn't get bombarded with asteroids and the dinosaurs survived, uh-huh. there'd be a bunch of, of intelligent dinosaurs running around. That's that's been the premise. That's been a premise of science fiction stories before. Like on on other planets, what if this certain type of species survived and became intelligent? Mm. We'd be taught like mm. space aliens from another planet could be dinosaurs, basically uh, smaller versions of dinosaurs. Wouldn't that be something to have super like super smart dinosaurs just around, like? Like, or better yet, they were in fact space travelers to come back to take Earth. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. That would. Uh, we're giving you gold, Hollywood. This Go, is, do. This, this is the makings. This has, got, this has got the makings of a comic book. It's like, I. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> totally. This is, this is a comic book, three real books, and a summer blockbuster. Yep. Hell, a trilogy of summer blockbusters. Go do. Well, they're making multi-million dollar industry. <laughs> they're they're making a movie slash comic book called um, Dinosaurs versus Aliens or something like that. Me and Brad, who's in the chat room, um, and his ears perked up. Uh, Brad says, "Did somebody say comic book?" Yes, we did. Uh, Brad and I oh. <laughs> talked about we talked about this on the Alien Invasion podcast. So. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they're connected somehow. I don't know. I I couldn't say. I really like I I like I really made a legitimate like effort to try and understand this story. Like I even did some research on like what our DNA is based on, like carbon based life forms are based on, and I'm still I'm not quite understanding what he's going with this, where he's going with this, but. I just all I heard was super smart velociraptors, and I'm like, yes, we have got to talk about it. And why isn't this a movie? <laughs> well, give Hollywood time; they will make it a movie. Uh, so you went above and beyond the call. You really did some research into the story. I'm proud of you. I Paul. tried. We did because I was like, I, I just it bothered me that I didn't really understand what he was talking about. <laughs> but, I hate when I. Don't- I suppose if I really understood it, like. I would be, you know, a professor at Columbia. <laughs> I hate when I don't understand something. And then I hate it even more when I go in and try to research it and still can't figure out what it all means. So kudos to you, my friend. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, super smart velociraptors. Think about it. All right. So I mentioned the Stargate earlier. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. That's my recommendation for this week. Oh, yeah. So... I listened. To- I, I had a friend who had like that entire box set of the original Stargate series, and they they rave about it. They think it's amazing. It was on for ten years, and 
I hardly have watched the show ever. I think I watched maybe the first season when it was on back in 1997, and I saw the movie, and I've seen bits and pieces. I watched Stargate Universe, but never really spent much time with the original series. So I went in and watched Stargate SG-1, the pilot episode, Children of the Gods. And uh, that is my recommendation this week, originally airing July 27th on ni- 1997 on Showtime, because it was on Showtime for the longest mm. time until it went into syndication and eventually uh, popped on uh, the Science Sci-Fi Channel, starring Richard Dean Anderson, yes, MacGyver, as Colonel Jack O'Neill, Michael Shanks as Dr. Daniel Jackson, Amanda Tapping as Captain Samantha Carter, Christopher Judge as Tilk, and Don S. Davis as Major General George Hammond, who unfortunately died a few years back. He had a massive heart attack and died. Really sad story. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. Or I don't know him. I've I I recall who he was. He did a lot of he did a lot of a lot. He's one of those guys that's in everything. Yep. And you don't know his name. He's one of those guys. But yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. You know. <laughs> All right, so one of them. Hey. This episode is the start and reestablishing of the Stargate program after what happened in the original 1994 Stargate film. I'm going to read a little excerpt from the IMDb article on it. Colonel Jack O'Neill retired from the, uh, from the military a year ago. Just before he left the service, he led an expedition through the Stargate an ancient portal that allows instantaneous travel to other galaxies. He's called back to duty by General Hammond when a group of aliens emerge from the Stargate, kill the soldiers guarding it, and kidnap a female guard. Now, I want to go back for a second. General Hammond, if you're a MASH fan, you'll know that name. I wonder if they did that in homage to MASH, because there was a General Hammond on MASH. Or maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. So. I. It's hard to say because those are obviously two very different genres. <laughs> yeah. But maybe there was like Whether one. You're talking, maybe there was like one guy who was writing for the show that was a big MASH fan and thought, hey, let's make it General Hammond. And that'll be my little inside maybe. thing to MASH, you know? Maybe. After seeing. I did. Okay. Go ahead. What? It strikes me as one of those things that like you'd hear on like one of the commentaries on the DVDs like <laughs> many many years later. Yep, exactly. All right, after seeing the aftermath of the alien attack and the strange bodies they left behind, O'Neill confesses that he defied the order to destroy Abydos, that's the world he visited via the Stargate. He reveals that Dr. Daniel Jackson, the scientist who was thought to have died on that mission, is alive and living on Abydos. It's also uh, clear that these aliens are not from Abydos. O'Neill is reunited with his old comrades, Kowalski and Ferretti, and joined by Captain Samantha Carter, who is played by the lovely Amanda Tapping. Very lovely. Ah. An astrophysicist, SG-1 returns through the Stargate to Abydos. They discover that Jackson has taken an, uh, a wife of the world, a very beautiful woman named Cherie, and that, um, let's see, 
blah, blah, blah. I'm just kind of skipping ahead a little bit. They also see Jackson's latest discovery, a giant cartouche covered in hieroglyphics that seemed to be a map of many stargates throughout the galaxy. So in the movie, they thought they could only go to this one world, but the series reveals, to make it a series, they had to make the revelation that no, there's a bunch of stargates scattered throughout the galaxy, and here's the map to all of them. Yeah, I think they made that claim, at least in the film. Really? That you had... Well, they they didn't confirm that there were multiple Stargates um, operational. They did confirm the possibility that, you know, they're trying to map which Stargate goes to which location. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. All right. At least that's what I recall. I may be completely smoking crack, but I, I think that's what I think that's what was going on. Well, okay. I watched the second episode, and on the second episode, mm-hmm. it's revealed that the reason why all these aliens they keep running into are human-looking is because they are human, and that's where all life springs from. in In the galaxy, is from Earth and from the human species. These these oh, weird yeah these aliens the ones that get implanted into these human bodies the, the human bodies are hosts i don't remember if you remember the the little creature they kept they they put in people's bodies to anyways that's part of it yeah An- another part of the the show okay so uh, a bunch of stuff happens and the end <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds Amazing and riveting and hard-hitting journalism and things as well. <laughs> no, that's um, that's my review of the first episode of Stargate SG-1. The, po- the pilot is called Children of, Go- of the Gods, and I'm actually pretty hooked now. I intend on keeping watching Stargate SG-1 and then eventually Stargate Atlantis. I found a guide online of the episodes that you should watch to understand the canon of the show. And it says to watch oh. all eight seasons of SG-1 and then start watching Stargate Atlantis. And then you go back and forth between Stargate Atlantis and Stargate SG-1 because apparently in the later seasons of SG-1, Atlantis is very connected to that show. So it helps to go back and forth. All right. All right. Well, cool. Uh, hey, <laughs> go timelines. All right. That's my recommendation. It's on Netflix. What's yours, Paul? It's a good one. Mine is an easy one. Very, very popular fan base. Uh, I am recommending the Firefly series. The very short-lived and unfortunate Firefly series. Ah, uh, Firefly. Yes. How, how the potential there... It reminds me of one of those scenarios where I want to see what the world would be like had Firefly not been canceled. I wanted to see where it would go. Well, That's what I that that is my opinion. Some would argue that it wouldn't be as popular if it had continued. Um, some would argue that because it was canceled was one of the reasons why it became so popular. But that's just one camp. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, one could argue that if if uh, Joss Whedon was wrapped up doing Firefly, assuming that he was the entire time, then he wouldn't have gone on to do his other projects that people have also found very popular. Yep. Um, that is 
that is very possible. Like, you know, he's doing the, obviously he's doing the, um, the new, the, the, the Avengers. It's escaping me. I forget what yeah. Avengers. Thank you. And that is, I mean, I cannot wait. I will be there. I, I will be there day of enjoying that film. So I, I'm happy that he's doing it. I'm, I'm thrilled that he's doing it because he's a great director and uh, it's it's unfortunate that Firefly didn't get the shot that I thought it deserved. So, uh, one thing that I really enjoyed about it specifically yes is uh, at least for at least for him is that he seems to portray or he has an accurate portrayal of he seems to I don't know if he's doing the writing but I think he does I think he I think he portrays women pretty well. Like he's not he in a lot of films like uh, uh, the woman is usually kind of cursory it's like in the background or like the one that needs help or saving in pretty much all of the roles that i've seen him do with where women are the focal point it's not even close to that like they're they seem to be in most cases they're holding their own that's one thing in particular that i like about his style and from the clip i've seen of avengers that's absolutely true with scarlett johansson yeah like no yeah like, i i i i agree 100 percent. i mean going back to buffy the vampire slayer i mean a female character yeah. was the point of the show and then it and it and not just and that's a hard line to walk yeah yeah like because you have to be because you have to be both vulnerable uh, you know potentially right like mm-hmm. i mean if you're going to be a fully fledged character at some point they're gonna to have to be vulnerable and on while at the same time being an incredibly strong character. And on Firefly, there was not one, but three strong characters. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. okay. You had, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, you had the, uh, let me let me quickly look up the cast members. Uh, you had Gina Torres, who played Zoe, who was Malcolm's second in command. You had, uh, let's see, you had Morena, uh, I don't know how to say her last name, but she played Inara, who was the companion. And you had, let's see, blah, blah, blah. And you had Kaylee, who was the engineer. Mm-hmm. And even... All of whom I really enjoyed as characters. Yeah, and even the... Com- and River. Yeah, and even the companion... What's her name again? The, uh, the character's name? Uh, that wa- The character was Inara. Inara. Even as the companion... She was a very strong character. I mean, just from the name sure. "companion," that denotes a, a a very much different thing as like prostitute or hooker. It's mm-hmm. it's more mm-hmm. respectable sounding, and the way they portrayed that in the show Firefly was a lot more respect, respectable. Like like royalty would call her, you know. So it was. They definitely tried to make her that. They tried to make her a bit more. They tr- they definitely tried to make her smarter. Um, yeah, and but more. Uh, I guess I guess the right way of saying it is independent. Okay, Brad put up um, a que- or not a comment, a question. No, a comment. <laughs> it's not a question. It's a comment. Put <laughs> Firefly season two up as a project on Kickstarter. And see how much money you can get to buy the rights and make it happen. Okay, I know exact. Oh. Okay, I know where this is coming from. This is an article, an interview with Joss Whedon, of the steps that 
because Brad put the link down in the chat room too, and I'll um I'll copy that mm-hmm. and put that in. Um, Castle Castle. <laughs> Joss Whedon was interviewed about what would what would it take to make Firefly season two happen, and pretty much it would take everybody from the show to quit their jobs, <laughs> to to cancel yeah. Castle, and for the rest of the actors to quit their great jobs in what they're doing now. So season two is not going to happen. No, probably not. Well, I mean, Nathan Fillion obviously has a role in Castle, and it seems to be a well-liked series. I think everybody would prefer that they do Firefly, but everything is, they're all so popular, mm-hmm. you know, like just them and individuals. And I mean, Homeland, Homeland has actually gotten really good reviews. Like people, like it's actually a good show. So I don't think any of those things are going to happen. <laughs> I think, and, yeah, and Brad also points out that Doctor Horrible Two is in the process of being written. Yeah. I, I can't wait for another Doctor Horrible. I have that on the Blu-ray. I think there's two th- two ways that a Firefly universe type show were to be made, or a movie were to be made. You either make a show that takes place in the same universe as Firefly within that same scope of what's going on in the Firefly show, or two, they do another movie in a few years when everybody's got time off, time to do the movie. See, I, that, that actually strikes... If, if, that is more, if that's more likely, I would prefer it. If that, were the, if that were more easily doable, I would definitely prefer a sequel to Serenity. That's a great... I would love that. I think that would be a great idea. Yep. All right, so that's going to do it for Firefly Talk. We both recommend it. It's available on Netflix. Watch it now. <laughs> Go, do. All right, before we wrap up the show, we'd like to point you to galacticnetcast.com for links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus accounts. Also on the website, got a bunch of sci-fi news and new ways to support our efforts. New ways of supporting the Galactic Netcast efforts that we do every week. Uh, there are three recurring monthly payment options now. Before, we just had donate some money. There we go. We make it a lot easier for you now. You make your choice, $3, $5, or $7, and then you get the money taken out of your checking account every, every month, and you just forget about it. You make your pledge to Galactic Netcasts, and you forget about it. Three, five, seven dollars, all very affordable options. Again, check it out at galacticnetcast.com. Question of the week time, sure. Paul. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. Going back to the story about the life size Starship Enterprise. Besides anything mm-hmm. Star Trek related, what other sci fi franchise would you want turned into a Las Vegas attraction or like a theme park that you can actually? live the show in a cool like ride type of way firefly firefly not to return to the firefly but firefly because it's firefly okay and that would be freaking amazing so what would be what would they make life-size obviously they'd make serenity the ship life-size but what do the ship okay what else oh let's see it's kind of hard to tell. You know what? I I don't know why, but I was thinking of those. I, I had that moment in the film where that where it's kind of that area 
where the Reaper space is is kind of iconic. I think yeah. that might be kind of cool. That would be awesome. Like just have all those like dilapidated ships and just all the all the metal shards all over the place. I think that might be kind of cool. Yeah, that would. Brad says Fifth Element. Alan says Tron. I Both very cool. Nice. Tron might be harder to pull um, off. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Disney. You have the cash and the rights. Let's do this thing. How about you, Dave? What would you like? Battlestar Galactica. Just because I've always had oh, this okay. I've always had this fascination of being launched out of the tube in a Viper fighter. In fact, um, when I was a we kid... We can make that happen. Oh, we can? I can't promise your survival, but we can do it. <laughs> okay, when I was a kid, when the original Battlestar Galactica was on the air, I actually made a Viper fighter out of wood and plastic. I made a helmet out of a couple of ice cream pails with tape and i had the whole cockpit cockpit uh door it it was my attempt at a viper and if i could live that i would just be in heaven i'd pay a lot of money <laughs> to relive my battlestar galactica fantasies um as well right. as as well as having the actual galactica i don't know if i'd want maybe do half the ship classic original bsg and then the other half the remake, you know? Why not? You could throw in uh, Caprica in there as well. Could. Definitely. So. The lore there is pretty rich. You could definitely do it. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still bummed about the Star Trek thing. You can't. I, I mean, and Star Wars is kind of a no-brainer, but I don't think, well. Yeah, Lucas would never have allowed would, that. Lucas, you, you don't think so? I think he's done a lot to sort of promote his... I don't know the all of the cursory stuff around the films. Like you know, he was a guy who made all his money off of action figures, that kind of thing. So I kind of, in a way, I almost feel like I know he's super protective of his property, but if he managed the thing, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. In a perfect world, that would happen, and we'd all be happier people for it. Doug Dodgers. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah. let us know. Let us know what you would like to be life-sized in Las Vegas by leaving us feedback. Galacticnetcasts at gmail.com, 805-328-3966, or go to the website galacticnetcast.com. So that's going to do it for uh, this Galactic Netcast, Time Traveling Robots in Space, number 28. Thanks for joining us. Any final parting thoughts, Paul? Have a great week, everybody. And somebody should find that guy from Paramount and kill him. I'm just saying. Contract assassin. Go. From the future. Oh, nice. From the future. You have to be from the future, though. Yes. I don't want any present-day killers. They're all pansies. <laughs> Leave your hailing frequencies open and scanners on full, because another Galactic Netcast will be approaching your coordinates soon. For more information, go to galacticnetcasts.com.